Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are here in the room, you're joining us online, we really are glad that you are worshiping with us today, especially if you're new. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And um, I got a question. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever do this. Like, I, I do this all the time. Like, I feel like most of my stories are like, hey, I was provoking somebody the other, the other week. I'm, I'm sorry. So I've already had two conversations this week. Like, you're talking with somebody that they're a, a big fan of, and then the conversation kind of goes to whether or not you're a real fan or not. I had this conversation twice already this week about Harry Potter. And um, you want to you provoke a Harry Potter fan, then you say, yeah, I've seen all the movies. It's great. And, he's like, and, they say, Have you re-? and you say, have you read the books? It's like, books. And then, and, then, and, then it, and, then it's, and then it's over. They will destroy you. And um, with, with Lord of the Rings, though, it's a little different. Because I think mo- most Lord of the Rings fans know that those books are tedious. Right? But they, so they don't, they don't really get on to you for the book. They say, hey, man, I really love those Lord of the Rings movies. Like, well, have you seen the extended editions that are six hours long each? Have you ever watched them all in one sitting at one time? <laughs> Casual, right? So that's, that, that's for them. Like, I like to flex every now and then about, about Star Wars because there's been 12 movies that have been released in theaters, and I've seen all of them in the theater first run, which I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people like that because, one, you have to be old, and even then when you're old, you still have to be, to be, to be into it. We'll switch here for a little bit, switch gears. Um, the show Fixer Upper. You talk to somebody about that, oh, man, I love that show, Fixer Upper. Man, you get, you get, you get somebody for real. It's like, have you been to Waco? <laughs> right? And if you don't have a shirt that you bought from there that says Shiplap on it, you're, I mean, you're just, you're just a casual who sort of watches the show. And, um, of course, I'm going to talk about basketball. And, uh, but the thing about me and Razorback basketball is, like, man, I'm encouraging the casual fan. I want casuals. I mean, you may not be as into it as me. That's fine. But casuals, at least, like, you're bringing a little bit of energy. You're coming to some games. You're watching. Maybe, you know, like, and, and, and the idea is that maybe you can hook the casuals in. So we don't want, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to push you away. I mean, I can't flex on you if you try to act like you're better than me because you're not. But, but I like, I want, I like, ca- like casual fandom. That's, that's, a, that's okay. And so what we've been doing, we started a series last week where we're just kind of talking about, th- talking through the commands of Jesus. Because I think about this, um, and what, what does it really mean? Again, now people can be offended by the metaphor, right? What does it mean to really be a fan of Jesus? Like I'm really, like I'm, I'm, on, I'm on team Jesus. Like, like, like I am a, like, a, like, like, I'm not a casual. Like I am a committed, like I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a real follower or like a real fan. Like it's not just something that I just casually believe in, but, it, but it's real. It's that, it's that next level. What, what, what is that? How do, how do we know? And we started this last week and we looked in John chapter 14 where Jesus kind of lays at least one piece of it out. Where he says, if you want to be somebody who loves me, the person who has my commands, who knows the things that I've called, to, called you to, I know you know the commandments and you keep them. That's the person that loves me. And what will happen is, is that not only will, I, will, will they love me, but like, then, then the love of the Father will come on them. And then I'm going to love you. And then I'm going to reveal myself to you. And so there's this deep relational connection that happens between you and God the Father. And through you and Jesus. And then Jesus begins to reveal himself like 
who he is, who you are, what life is supposed to be. And the, and the key centerpiece to that is obedience. And so as we started this series last week, it's like, well, if that's what he says, if like one of these kind of centerpieces of what it means to be a real committed follower of Jesus is ha- knowing the commands and keeping them, then it's going to be really important for us to know what some of those things are. I mean, there are so many of them, we could do this every week for a year. So we just kind of picked out a few, kind of a few of the major ones, because honestly, there's just a lot of people out there that will tell you, like, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, it's all about this, it's all about this, it's all about this. And there's a lot of all about in these individual things, but is there a way for us to kind of put a big picture together for us and what it is that it really means to be a follower of Jesus. So in this next week, what we're doing today is we're just going to start with what, what was the first thing? What was the, what was the first thing? As he's, as he's looking at people that he wants to, um, to, kind of, to be his disciples, what, what was his first command to them? And so we look here in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we see him and his initial call to his disciples. And the passage we're going to look at is going to start in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you, make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so we have here, we got, the, we got this picture that Jesus is walking essentially along the seashore and sees two sets of fishermen. And he looks at both of them, and here's the command, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And all four of them immediately just kind of drop their nets, drop everything that they're doing, and go to Jesus. And so this command is actually very short. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. It's not that long. It's not even particularly complicated. But in that, I think, are three very crucial pieces that if we can put all three aspects of this command together, I think that we will start to build a clearer picture of what it means for us to be people who are followers, genuine, authentic fans, followers, believers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to break this thing down kind of into three parts, help us understand fully the nature of this call that Jesus puts on these, on these fishermen. And the first part, which is the actual command in and of itself, it says this, is follow me. And I'll explain a little bit more kind of what this means, but right now it's just say to believe in Jesus and the gospel is really kind of what it boils down for us. But what did, it, what did it make sense for them? We'll come back to what it means for us, but, but for them. Like, he looks at them and says, follow me. And it says they stop everything that they're doing and start to do it. Now, I know not everybody here grew up in church, and not everybody here grew up in church to the level that I did, where we were in church, you know, 12 to 15 hours a week, almost every week. And one of the things I do, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, I notice patterns and things. And I noticed pretty early on that in Sunday school, and I've, I've joked about this before if you've been around, that it seems like that there are 52 Bible stories. 
And every year they just kind of get rotated. You see them in kindergarten, you hear them. Go to the first grade class and you hear the same 50 stories. Keep hearing them again. And they, they advance them a little bit. They kind of add little details to them. But it's the same 52 stories. And this, this again, maybe that's what God did. Maybe it was just kind of like, man, I'm just going to be a blessing to Sunday school teachers everywhere. And just put exactly 52 stories in the Bible and it'll just work out great. But this is one of them. And the way it was told to me, the way it felt to me, like the, the, the way it was told is like, like this is the first time Jesus had ever met these guys. Like they didn't know Jesus. He didn't know them. He was just kind of casually walking along the sea and was like, hey, you guys, follow me. And they were just kind of like, well, I don't know who that is. But sure, why not? And they just kind of dropped everything about their life and kind of went with him. Which is the only way, I don't mean this to sound sacrilegious, but the only way that that made sense to me was that like, like he was just using his Jesus powers on them, right? Hey, follow me. And they were like, yes. And so they just dropped what they were doing Which, because it makes it a really weird story. Like I'm going to leave my everything for some random guy who walks on the beach. He's not a random guy. He's Jesus. I didn't know that. But the reality of it is this was a very common thing um, during this time for someone who was known to be a rabbi, kind of a, a, a religious teacher, to gather for himself students. And the way that this process worked is there said there used to be a lot of, a lot of young, uh, young kids who would kind of go to, go to school, and the top rabbis, the top teachers would be there. And it was part of these teachers' responsibility to kind of select for themselves a small handful of disciples and followers that they were going to individually train ultimately so that they could become rabbis and teachers as well. And so what would happen is that they, you know, they, would, they, they would get to meet all these, these kids and they would teach them and then they would select who they feel like were kind of the best of the best and the ones that kind of fit them the most, kind of vibing with them the most. Vibing, I'm sure, was a very popular first century Jewish concept. And, and they would select them and this would say, follow me. And that meant like, okay, now I'm going to be your disciple. And then some people then would just be left without that, would, would finish school and then just go about their trade. And so these, this was a very common thing to happen. But one of the, the unique things about this is, you know, these were the people that weren't picked. The best of the best had already been picked. The elite had already been picked. This is not they got picked last in kickball. This is you didn't even get picked at all. We've already got the teams, and you, you're, you're, you're not in. And these are the people that Jesus came to. So I just want you to have that in your mind, because we're going to come back to that as we kind of talk about some of our objections to this thing that Jesus is asking. But essentially what Jesus is saying, this is not, this is not new to them. We, we look a few verses ahead in Mark chapter 1, and we have at least one instance where Jesus has been teaching publicly in a synagogue, which is the equivalent of a church. He's been teaching there, so he is known. It is known that he is a wise teacher. And so then he goes around and begins to select the people that are going to follow him. But what, what is he asking them? Basically, their response kind of shows what it means for, for them to follow him. They drop everything that they were doing, their career path, Everything that they thought their life was going to be about, they drop and begin to take on a completely different life following this new teacher. What Jesus didn't say to them was, hey guys, 
I don't know if you guys remember me from synagogue the other day, but you know, I, I was teaching. I was teaching. I was saying some things. So I want you to know I'm going to be doing this on the regular. And um, I want you, every time that you hear me, I want you to like, take it under advisement. And I want, I, like, I want you like, you need to apply these things that I'm saying to your life. So be sure to come back uh, next Saturday. I'll be there. And um, we can, you, you can just kind of learn from me. We'll, 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 see, we'll see you next week. What he was calling them to was a complete reorientation of their life. They thought that their life was going to be about this. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. These are my values. This, this is my life. And Jesus is not asking to be incorporated into that. Hey, put a little bit of my teaching into your life. When he says, follow me, he's like, I want a completely different life for you than your life. Now, immediately, because again, that's part of this story, and immediately our kind of brain goes to, well, this mean I have to, I'm going to have to radically change my career because that's what happened here for them. But for every person that has to radically change their career, like these guys, there are other people who are following Jesus that that's not true for. But for every person that Jesus talked to then, and for every person, all of us, that he is making this call on right now to follow him, he is calling for and asking for a complete redirection of your life. I thought I knew what my life was about. My life is about me. It's the pursuit of what I want. It's the pursuit of my own wealth, my own power, my own happiness, my own satisfaction. And, and this is what my life is about. And, what, and, and my self-directed life, you begin to discover, is full of sin. It is full of hurt. I am hurting the people around me. I am, I am dist- I, I'm slowly eroding on the inside. I have irreparably damaged my relationship with God. And this life that I had, it's not working. It's destructive. And it is in that moment that Jesus comes in and says, follow me. He doesn't come in and say, I got a couple of ideas. I got some tweaks. I got an upgrade or two. You should consider this. It is a complete and total redirection. The gospel Jesus sacrificed his life following him is about a recognition that my self-directed life is destructive. And I need a new life with him. And I think that it is really important for us to make sure, like, there needs to be some transformative moment or season in our life where we recognize it's, it's not just about learning some things. It's not about just kind of adding it. I think too often we imagine our spiritual life like, 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 like a pie chart of sorts. And like God's trying to get a, 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 a sliver, a small sliver of the pie. Like I've, got, I've got my finances and my, and my family and my work and I've got my, my, my free time, all these things. And I've got my spiritual life. And then I come to church every week and the motivating speech, sermon, idea is God wants a slightly bigger piece of that And we do that. But really the call of Jesus on our life is, is I want to be the centerpiece, the organizing principle through which every aspect of your life falls. 
my career path is determined by my values and, and, and centered around who Jesus is, my, the way that I live my family, what I do with my free time, what I do with my friends, what, what my hobbies are, what my life is. My life is centered and oriented around a following of Jesus. And that is, that's a big upgrade, I think, for a lot of us especially those of us who are new, some of us who on some level are still kind of exploring, who are still a little bit casual. And if I say, man, we need to be, and again, this is, this is, this is an incomplete metaphor, but it's like, man, we need, you need to be like real fans. The problem is fan is short for fanatic. And if I said, and here's the big, big idea, guys, I want each of you to be Jesus fanatics walking out of here. You're like, mm-hmm. I, I thought I liked this church. And then I decided I didn't. Because you have an image in your head of what somebody looks like who's a fanatic, who's just a little too, you know. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the, 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 the most prominent examples that we have of people who are like really into following Jesus are people who, in their own way, are still just doing a lot of damage. But the reality of your life, the reality of what it is that God's calling you to, is a major restructuring, a redirecting, a turning into a completely God-oriented, Jesus-centered life that regardless of whether that's a change of occupation, a change of location, a change of anything, like, it's going to be a change of my heart and my life. And you say this long enough, you hang out in point one long enough, and it starts to feel a little bit overwhelming. It starts to feel a little overwhelming, but that's why it's important for us to go to the second part. He says, follow me, and he says, "Then and I will make you. I will make you. This is what Jesus says he's going to do. That God is going to transform you. Because way too often we start talking about this, like, man, this is what God wants from me. He wants, he, wa- he, wants, he wants relationship. He wants commitment. He wants a redirection of your life. He wants to be the centerpiece of all aspects of your life. You say all these things, and like all sorts of fear and anxieties can be triggered in that. And, and the most notable one, the one that happens the most often, is people like, I just, I'm just, I'm just not good enough. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not. You just, you just don't... You just, you don't, you don't know, you don't, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you, you don't know what I'm doing. You, you don't know what I've got planned for later, actually. And I, I've got to get a lot of that sorted out. I got to get a lot of that sorted out. And, 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 if, and if I get that sorted out and I can kind of clean myself up a little bit, once I clean myself up a little bit, then I'll be able to get on this level where then I'm good enough where God will accept me. So we turn kind of the, 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 the command and the promise, we kind of turn it around. Rather than follow me, follow Jesus, and he will make you something, we go, I got to make myself something, then God will accept me. Which is not what this says. It is the opposite of that. Follow me, and then he will make you into something. And it doesn't matter that in this moment you don't feel good enough. In fact, that's the whole point. The whole point is that you're not good enough. And that is, the, that is the moment in which Jesus enters in and says, follow me and I'll make you. Trust me, turn away from this and I will make you. But there's some other anxieties that come up because 
there's a sense in which it's like, okay, you're going to start talking about this, and then next thing you know, you're going to talk about these things that we're supposed to then, God's going to do in us, God's going to do through us, and it's going to be these big things. And like, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I'm not that smart, I don't, I don't know a whole lot, I'm not that talented, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great with people, I'm not great not with people, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just not that great. And that's why it's important for us that the way that this story is told, and the very first people that Jesus calls, let's just say, they're just regulars. They're just regulars. And so if in this moment you think, man, I'm just kind of ordinary. Like, okay, you, you fit right in. I'm not that smart. I'm not that educated. I don't know a whole lot. I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm just kind of a regular guy. Okay, but that's who he's talking about. You know, if you hear this and you say, man, and God, you got, follow him. He's going to change your life. He's going to make you into something where you're going to do great things for him. And you hear that and you're like, you bet. I'm great. God's great. It'd be a great team. Of course, he can, do, I'm, he can do great things to me because I already know I'm great. Sign me up for where, specifically, God wants me to be awesome. If, if you're like that, you're, 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 you're a few steps behind. The person who comes in is like, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not so sure about this. You're already miles ahead. Now, at this point, there are any numbers, a number of stories that I could tell. And I could pick any any of the five Loftons and, and tell a great story about our overwhelming amount of overconfidence in all areas of life. I could, just, I could just pick one. And so I could have drawn a name out of a hat, but instead I decided to pick the most recent one, which is with our youngest daughter, Layla, who was nine, who was at tennis camp this week. To which, anytime I've told people Layla was at tennis camp this week, the very natural, normal response to that is, Oh, does she play tennis? And then, no, she doesn't play tennis. She doesn't play tennis. Lauren, her, uh, one of our older sisters, she started playing tennis. Like She'd played it a couple years ago. I want to get back into playing tennis. And so Layla hears that and it's like, I want to start playing tennis too. So we get her a racket. And she and I play a couple times. She and Lauren play a couple times. And she's loving it. And whatever it is you think, if I say that there is a nine-year-old who's never played tennis before, on a tennis court, what would that look like? That's exactly what it looks like. It was not like, what on earth? Who is this that has emerged? Serena Williams, is that you? How, where did this come from? Where have you been hiding? I mean, it's just a kid learning how to hit a ball with a racket. And it's going, I mean, it's not, she's not bad. She just, it's just, she's just a beginner. So she's got a friend who takes tennis lessons, and they're going to do this tennis camp together and starting this week. And, like, and we're trying. We're, we're all trying because we know. We, we know it because it's who we are, and we see it in her and he's like, hey, you know, some of those kids, I mean, they're going to have been taking lessons for a while. And they're going to like, you're, you're, you're beginners. And <laughs> I swear to you, she says to me, Dad, I already know everything about tennis. <laughs> like, well, this is going to be great. This is going to be, this is going to be great. And this is going to be amazing. And so she comes back. I pick her up after the first day. And I say, how did it go? It's like, I mean, they were mean. Like, what do you mean mean? He's like, if you did it and, and you didn't do it right, they were like, that's not how you do it. And they would just tell you how you're supposed to do it. And you could just see, not uh, just, 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 just in that, it's like, I already know how to tennis. We're here for those of us who know how to tennis to enjoy tennis, and you're sitting here telling me I don't know how to tennis. 
And so we got, we got you know, several hours of, of paid child care, and, and, she had a, and she had a great week, and we did not learn one bit of tennis <laughs> because we already know tennis. And that's an over-exaggeration because that's what I do. She did, she actually did. We actually saw her. She came back, and we were played, played one night. She actually Im- improved a lot. The point, though, is the attitude when you walk into it thinking, I've already got this figured out, I'm already good enough, it's going to hold you back. And there's countless examples of that in my life and probably for a lot of us. But if we can start with that place of humility, it's like, I really don't have it all figured out. I don't know that I'm good enough. I don't know that I'm smart enough. I don't know that I'm skilled enough. You're actually way, way far ahead because this is not about follow me and then make yourself this great person for God. It, it really begins then with an openness that says, I am going to allow God to do something in me. And so this is about not what I can become, but about what God in me can do, his transforming work in me. And so, follow me. Believe in Jesus. Trust in the gospel. Have a, a, a redirection, a turning in your life. And he will make, he will do, he will do a transforming work in you. But what will he make you? And this is where it ends. What is he going to make you? I will make you fishers of men. And we'll just say for that, what that means is, is that he's calling you to make a difference. Now, fishers of men is a, it would be a really awkward um, metaphor for Jesus to use for any of us. And if any of these four guys, Andrew, Peter, James, John, if any of them were hyper literal, it was probably really an awkward few hours at least for them. Stop doing this and we're going to start fishing for people. It's like we're going to put them in nets. Clean them and cut them and sell them for food? I don't know. But clearly they, they knew something because I don't think they would have gotten involved in that. But I think that they understood the metaphor behind it, which is right now your life is about gathering fish. We're about to completely reorient your life to make it about gathering people. Your life is fish. Your life needs to be people. That's what I want your life to be about. We are going to find them. We're going to gather them. And to to a degree, the metaphor keeps working. Then they're going to be cleaned and repurposed, just like I'm doing in you. And I am sure that over the course of these years together, Jesus is constantly and continually unfolding the beauty of this metaphor to them about how we're going to take people, gather them, Watch God do something cool in them. And then they're going to be transformed. And this this is what he's called us to be. To be a people who are making a difference in the lives of the people out there in the world. And way too often, it's like, you hear this and it's like, this, this this is like a call for missionaries. We need more missionaries and we need more people to be pastors of churches and, and people who start nonprofits. And I've been here now at the Grove for almost 11 years, and I have seen a lot of that here. 
I've seen people leave here and become missionaries. I've seen people decide to become pastors and, and go on staff with churches here. I've seen people start nonprofits and do kind of these big next level things. But for every person like that, there are dozens that God is using to make a difference in the lives of people in very simple but profound ways. I mean, I could tell countless stories over the last 11 years of how many people in different seasons have just impacted one or more of my three daughters. You know, they were, they were 12, nine, and, and, and two years away when we got here. And I have seen so many people in varying seasons of their lives, when, they were ba- when Layla was a baby, when she was in preschool, when they were in elementary school, when our older daughters were in the youth group, now that they're in college, now they graduate, we got one that's graduated from college. And I see so many of you have just loved and impacted them in significant ways. And this is just one family in the church, our family. There's so many of you that have loved my wife well, that have loved me well, that have encouraged me. Again, we're just one family. But I see the way that we do this for each other. I sit there sometimes in the church lobby and, 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 and person after person comes to, that, to the food pantry that we have. It, it is, it is, it's, this is sad, but it's also encouraging for us. It's a very popular place. It is very well known by a lot of people. It is known by the number of phone calls that we get from people who need rent assistance or food assistance or utility assistance. It is known that this is a place where people who are hurting, people who are having a hard time financially, this is known as a place where they'll be met with love and compassion and help. And that's because of each of you. So many of you are a part of that ministry. Many of you have been loving on kids. Many of you are just inviting a friend Hey, you should come and be a part of this with me. Some of you are just, you're being good people at work. You're just, you're, you're kind. You are reflecting and modeling the character of Jesus in your lives. All of those things are significant. And God has a place for you. And he wants to make, he's got, a, he's got a role carved out for you. And he wants to make you into that person that can do it. I will make you into a person that can make a difference in this world. Who can be used by me to bring hope and life to the people that you go to church with. To the people in your neighborhood, to the people in your work, the people in your school, your friends, your family. I can do that. I have this, I have this for you. If you will just follow me. Let me pray.